Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. I make this show for you, and I hope that you really enjoy it. I have a lot of people that ask me how they can support the show financially, and you can do that by heading over to patreon.com slash preacherboys. You're going to get access to exclusive content, including early releases of episodes. I've got a couple episodes right now that have been released at least a month early over on Patreon. You've got access to things like unique merch, depending on what tier you join, and you get access to some behind-the-scenes content that I'm posting within the group. So head over to patreon.com slash preacherboys and become a member over there today. Every single supporter helps make this show a little bit more possible, especially as I continue to add additional episodes and content every single week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the show. Trigger warning. This podcast contains descriptions of various abusive situations. Listener discretion is advised. For years, I would tell myself, you know, I don't have any issues. It doesn't bother me. In the meantime, somebody would walk up behind me, touch me. And I would just ghost out, like my face would ghost, my heart would fall, and I would go into like fight mode for years. And I was like, well, I don't understand why this happens, but I don't know. You are listening to the Preacher Boys podcast, a podcast shedding light on decades of mental, physical, and sexual abuse within the independent fundamental Baptist movement. The testimonies shared on this podcast are told from the personal experience and perspective of the survivors. Not all legal outcomes are known or final. Any suspect is presumed innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. To find more information about the Preacher Boys podcast and upcoming documentary, visit PreacherBoysDoc.com or connect on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at PreacherBoysDoc. Now, here is your host, Eric Skwarzynski. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Preacher Boys podcast. I'm so excited to have Colton Schrag on the show today. Uh, He is from Agape Boarding School, which we've covered a couple times on the show, Uh, but I'm excited to hear his perspective and his story. So Colton, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So uh, I I like to ask everybody, I know Agape is obviously an independent Baptist uh, school, but I'm always curious to know with the troubled teen industry, if that was the denomination you were part of, if you had any religious background before going to Agape, uh, what what was kind of your background prior to Agape? So my parents, I got adopted into like a non-denominational church. Uh, There really wasn't much structured Christianity, if that makes any sense. I mean, we went to youth group and the parents with the church, you know, right. but as far as independent fundamental, I dove right in as soon as I walked into Agape's doors. Gotcha. So, um, getting adopted into, uh, a non-denominational home, um, what was kind of the, what was kind of the reason that they ended up sending you to Agape? Was it just like a struggle to connect? Was there, was there some kind of disciplinary thing? Like what was, what was going on? Yeah, that's a good question, man. So I actually went to Agape when I was 12. Uh, and like I said, I was adopted from pretty abusive childhood. Uh, so I had the traumas and the, and the issues that came with that. I had a temper. I always tend to fight when I start getting, I don't know, I guess stuff starts getting aggressive. I tend to fight back. And so, you know, coming from that kind of childhood into an adopted home and I've got nothing bad to say about my adopted home. They were good people. They are good people. Uh, they did what they could, you know, I was kind of a handful. Um, and so, you know, when I went to Agape, it was kind of like the first time I, I may have talked back and had a temper, threw a little temper tantrum, you know. Uh, 
there's not really a lot to cover as far as my first time there. I was 12 years old. I was little. Uh, I wasn't trying to pick any fights or anything. Right. Um, I will say while I was there at Agape, uh, that first time I learned all about drugs and gangs mm. and I mean, just the world. And so, you know, when you're there and you can't do it and these guys make it sound so cool, well, all you want to do is drugs and join a gang and, you know, fight when you right. leave. Uh, so fast forward to, I was about 14, 14 and a half. And uh, I ended up leaving Agape and uh, the first time my parents, I thought, I thought I was going home, but they ended up finding a different school, mm. which was a lot cheaper than Agape, which I was doing really well. Like I probably, this is probably a game changer moment. Uh, you know, when they pulled me home and everybody's telling me, yeah, you're going home. Finally. I'm like, awesome. I'm finally going to be able to be like a real boy, you know? Right. And uh, I'm walking through the airport with my dad and he was like, uh, no, you're, you're going to be home for two weeks. And uh, we found a cheaper place. Mm. And I remember that instant, like, all right, you're going to regret that. Like I just filled up with so much anger and rage and like hatred, you know, right. for just for the whole situation. And I remember thinking like, you're going to regret that decision. And uh, yeah. that's, and that's how I lived. And so I went to that other place and I was there for like eight months, I want to say. And I, I got into every amount of trouble you could think of as far as like, I didn't necessarily join a gang, but I definitely was hanging out with some gang members and, right. and you know, the wrong kind of kids. Uh, at the time we were selling some, some marijuana when marijuana was a big offense, you know, right. uh, kind of dabbled into a little bit of cocaine and not, not doing them. I never actually been like a user of drugs except for weed. Uh, but I was starting to sell a little bit and I was definitely like ditching school fighting all yeah. the time. Uh, I'd, I'd gotten in trouble for like a robbery and pretty much long story short, I ended up back at Agape because I got kicked out of that other place. My parents are like, you ain't living here, man. <laughs> so right. fast forward, I got sent to Agape December 26, 2006, the day after Christmas. Right. So it, it sounds like your initial, I mean, whether or not like Agape was a good choice to send you to at 12, you know, was, uh, was the right move. But I mean, it sounds like your, it almost sounds like initially what you did experience at Agape the first time would have been, like you said, it would have been a a benefit. Like you would have been able to walk out of there and and be ready to be on the right path. Is that, is that correct? Uh, So I did leave out stories. Um, Yes and no. So I did see a bunch of things happen to the older boys while I was, you know, young. I had gotten restrained once and that entailed, well, the way they describe it is, you know, we control the students because they're getting out of control. We put them on the ground and they start applying pressure points, which is true to the K. Like, uh, it's true initially, like after everything's been said and done and the kids have already been thrown around or slammed to the ground. So that is true. So I've experienced that when I was 12, I think. I think if I remember right, my parents were leaving and I ran after them and they thought mm-hmm. I was running or whatever their excuse was for a little like four, four kid, you know? Uh, and that, I remember thinking like, but that was the last time I want that to happen. That was not fun. Yeah. And it lasted about 20 minutes, I think. But I had seen that happen to several kids or boys, you know, 16, 17 year olds. Uh, I know you were talking to James um, and he said, you know, they kind of tried to do it. They would yeah. es- escort them to the intake room or orientation room, padded palace, whatever you want to call it, right. uh, with with students involved, right? So when I wasn't, uh, when I first went there, I think this was like 03, 04, Students never like 
It, well, we assisted in restraints until staff members got there. And that usually yeah. entailed like students were slamming the kids around and beating right. them up. That's your and, chance, uh, right? It was like the, yeah. Well, it was, I feel like it was better for us to do it than mm. if the staff members got the initial part. Because if we got you on the ground, you were already on the ground and you're not going to have a grown men toss you, you know? Right. That, that was our thinking behind it. Gotcha. Uh, so I had seen that happen. You know, we didn't, we didn't, there's no students going on the intakes and stuff like that, at least at my time. Like to make sure that like everything was cool. Like it was just yeah. staff. Yeah. Um, right. So, uh, so initially going like, I mean, you're dealing with like already past trauma and things like, and so that's leading to, you know, obviously like it's, it's, there's going to be friction. Like when you're in a new environment, you're adjusting new people. Um, and it seems like you're, you're, I guess, quote unquote, disciplinary issues were more of the, you know, maybe talking back, you know, rebelling a little bit and things like that. Nor I would say normal 12 year old stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. And going to Agape and being surrounded by people who there was, I mean, and whenever I talk to someone, there's a wide range of people who are in positions like yours to gang members and, you know, people who have done incredibly horrible things. So you walked away armed with all of this world knowledge that you didn't have prior which yeah, kind like, of, yeah. when I tell you I was well equipped <laughs> I was well equipped and I remember one student was like why are you teaching him that to, to, to another student and the other student was like he's got to learn it one day he's got to be able to survive and I remember mm -hmm. thinking all right man this guy's got my back you know I'm 15 right. years right. old yeah. so I'm soaking everything in right uh, so the school you were at for about eight months what what school was that uh, that was in New Mexico, New Mexico Baptist Children's Home. Okay. Um, so it says Baptist, and I remember when I heard that, thinking, seriously, you're going to send me to another Baptist place? And then I walked into the office, and the secretary was wearing a skirt. It just, like, enraged me. I was like, are you freaking kidding me again? And, that, well, it, it was not independent, nowhere near that. It just, my first experience of Baptist was agape, and so yeah. I judged everybody off that, you know? Right, right. So, so going getting out of there going back you you start getting into like the drug culture and things like that what was your what was your kind of reaction to being sent back to agape that second time so i had told my parents and my older brother uh, a little bit of what i had seen like man i've seen these dudes get thrown into walls you know put through walls staff members just straight choke slam a dude and they didn't believe me because agape tells every parent like these kids are going to say these things to try to work your emotions to get you sent, you know, anything to go home, which fair enough on their behalf. Yeah. I'm sure we did our part to try to go home because nobody wanted to be at Agape regardless mm -hmm. of like, I don't even think some of the staff members wanted to be there at times. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, when I'm opening up my Christmas presents on Christmas day, I'm getting white socks, long socks. I got a pair of white dress or a black dress shoes, um, some white t-shirts. I already knew. I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Right. You know, and I'm like, I guess I'm going back to Agape and I'm probably going to be there till I turn 18. Right. And uh, I mean, that was the case. I didn't fight it. There was no point to fight it. I could have ran away or something and I just would have got picked back up and then dropped off. Yeah. So. Right. So how did your second experience differ from the, the first? Drastically. Um, so I remember when I first got dropped off there, uh, December 26, 2006, um, the, the owner's son, uh, I don't, don't want to say any names, but the owner's son looked at me and was like, Oh, look, the little shrugs back. And I looked at him and said, I think you're in for a rude awakening. I'm not the same kid. And I mean, that kind of just set the tone. 
And uh, from there, it was just like I was fighting the system. I would blatantly just rebel because I, I was like, oh, screw this. Like, I know I'm going to be here till I'm 18. Like, I could either go and, like, try to do good or just be myself. And I think I tried to do good for, like, a week, two weeks, and then it was just like, this is pointless because right. I had seen some stuff. And so that's kind of where the, you know, the ball started rolling. What what was the day-to-day like at Agape? I mean, I've, I've had a couple people, but depending on the time you're there and, and who, who you were around, it, it varies from person to person a little bit. Yeah, good question. So I do know, I think the system and the structure is kind of the same aspect. You know, you wake up, I think we woke up about 5.36. If I, I, mean, I think it was six. Um, staff members started coming in about five and they were pretty loud. So we were pretty much awake while they were walking in the dorm. Uh, the new dorm when I first got there I stayed in the old barracks and stuff Uh, so about six you know they kick on the lights and start screaming you know your feet should be on the floor you should be out of bed you had about three to five seconds to get out of bed and you had you know guys jumping off top bunks hitting the ground just to get out of bed and and uh, you know that was kind of the start of your day Uh, a little side note if you didn't get out of bed in time staff members would walk over the bed and just dump your mattress whether Mm. you're on a bottom or a top so you'd have guys falling from the bottom bunk or the top bunk. I mean, I've seen it both ways. Uh, and then from there, you know, you, you uh, make your bed real quick, military style, 45 degree angles. And then uh, you would start picking up whatever trash was on the ground. Usually it, there was no trash. We didn't have anything. So you'd pick up a little like lint. And then uh, I think about 620, we would go down to, uh, at the time it was the old shower bay. That's where we would, you know, brush our teeth, use the restroom. Uh, get dressed for the day and then from there head to the dining hall uh, I think we were in the dining hall about 7 to seven thirty. we read our bibles you know they had a, a proverbs or psalm an old testament and a new testament so for 30 minutes that's what you did uh, whether you read it or not then you know that was up to you uh, I remember you're staring at the page I'd look at the clock all right it's been seven minutes time to switch to psalms okay it's mm-hmm. been two minutes time to switch to the new testament right so on so forth right and uh, from there, I think we, it kind of fluctuated differently. Like sometimes it would be breakfast and other times they'd make us go do like a 30 minute to an hour work crew, which was pretty much pointless. It was, we'd go outside and haul rocks from one section to another, or we'd go like clear out a field of uh, like weeds and trees. Um, I think for like two weeks, a span of two weeks, we went out there and planted all the grass on the property. It was all dirt when I got there. So all the grass you saw, you know, helped contribute. Uh, and then from there, ate breakfast, washed up, and depending on the morning, went to chapel, did about a 45-minute hour chapel. Uh, then some guys went down and did school, and some, sometimes some guys would go do work crews. Uh, and then from there, you go lunch, school, dinner, back to the you know back to the shower bay, change, shower, call it a night. Right. Was the um, I, I know you mentioned seeing a lot of physical punishments and things in your initial time there. Was that ramped up at all at the, by the time you'd gone to the second time or was it kind of consistent? No. So it was like somebody had took a shot of steroids and it was elevated a lot. And also I think it was specifically in my case, because I fought the system, if you will. Uh, I didn't just roll over and do what they said. I would question it or I would, I don't know, just blatantly yell like F you or something, you know, who knows? I was just a rebellious kid and I was a fighter. And so I was kind of one, like a, like an odd case. A lot of guys don't have as they've seen a lot and some have been through a lot. Uh, Some was, you know, they kind of jumped into some was just 
you know, they were there. Me, it was like, I, I, I kind of sought like enjoyment of fighting the staff members and, and kind of rebelling, which that sounds really bad, but, uh, you know, growing up how I grew up and seeing what I had seen, I kind of was just done doing what yeah. they said or, you know, like, uh, a lot of the times certain staff members, I can't say all of them. There were some genuine good people. I think they just got grouped up in the, in the, in the gist of it. Like they told us you're guilty by association. We're going right. to hold them accountable too, you know? So there was, you know, I think seven or eight staff members that were just really aggressive and, and they would instigate situations or antagonize somebody to get to put hands on them. And I think they truly like, like sought pleasure or it was like an excitement in their day. Cause it was for us. Like when somebody's getting restrained, you're like, heck yeah, this is going to be awesome. Oh, he just got tossed over somebody's head, you know, or whatever. Yeah. And so I think some of and then they would definitely like escalate the situation, not deescalate it. I'm um, like James is saying, you know, there were certain staff members that were pretty good at deescalating. In our case, those staff members were like one and two. There's only a couple of those and they mm. didn't genuinely like generally get involved much. Uh, you know, cause, cause the staff members, you know, certain staff members would chew those staff members out too, right in front of us. Yeah. Yeah. No, I always, I always say like to put yourself in a position like that, you either have to be like a, a, someone like James where, you know, you genuinely want to help people. And so you're sticking it out. Um, and, and this is the same for any kind of like law enforcement or, or anything. I feel like yep. you either have to be the person who really wants to help everybody or you're the person who really likes getting a shot to, you know, harass a little bit, you know? Oh and, yeah. And uh, uh, I agree. I definitely like, and there's a lot of us that talk about this in the day, like certain staff members, we felt like got off on being aggressive yeah. towards us. You know, they just was like adrenaline rush to them or something, you know? Right. Did you feel like, because you, I know you you mentioned fighting the system, and obviously part of that was just you know sick of being there. But did you feel like there was even a point of trying to like fit into the system? Did you feel like there was a chance to be recognized as like making positive progress? Uh, maybe. So I didn't always fight it. So I would say when I first came back, I tried, but I had seen like enough. Like within my first couple weeks of being back, I had watched a dude get put through a wall. You know, they were building the, uh, I believe it was a new shower base. And I watched that dude get put through a wall. And I was thinking like, how are we going to let this happen? Like, this is crazy. And then it was another thing. Like we saw a kid, I, uh, actually I got slammed on the gravel rocks in the back of the property while on a work crew, you know, they were making me do calisthenics. And I finally was like, you know what? I'm done. Screw it. What are you going to do to me? Restrain me, whatever. And so they did, right. I mean, that's what they did. And so it was a series of stuff like that, where I had seen something or been through something. I kind of just was like, screw it. I'm not going to let this happen. Like you're going to work for your money now. Right. And then that kind of leads me up to, to one of my main stories, like the significant ones. Uh, so the staff member had put hands on me and, uh, you know, restrained me. And yes, he did do pressure points or like five of them did pressure points after the initial, like slamming me to the ground and sliding my face on the gravel. Uh, then they begin to mash my pressure points or, you know, where they're leaving bruises and stuff until you're, not fighting. So that kind of just made me mad. And I remember going up to a student and be like, you know what? I think I'm going to take this broomstick to that staff member's face. Like right now I was angry, you know, I was an angry kid. And so I, I grabbed a broom and I was acting like I was sweeping. Well, the student that I had told that to walked over to that staff member and told him. Hmm. And so, you know, he calls me over and he's like, what are you doing with that broom? I said, I don't know. I'm sure you heard. And you know, he, he grabbed me. And so I ended up going back into an orange shirt, which back then we called it a retread. And I guess that would be the equivalent of like, 
I don't know if you've heard of Brown Shirt or Brown Town. Yeah. I think yeah. James kind of covered it. So that would be the equivalent of that. Uh, and so that had happened. And two other Hispanic kids had, had also went back into an orange shirt. And from there, it was just like, you know, we're going to rebel. Like, they're, they're punking us. We're not punks. You know, you got that whole tough guy mentality. And uh, 420 was rolling around the corner. And so, you know, we, we had been uh, – you'll hear a little bit this of this in the other podcast. But, you know, we had ended up, you know, being singled out, for lack of a better term. You know, they had us standing the entire time uh, in front of everybody on the wall. That way, you know, they knew where we were at all points in time. And uh, so we had been, you know, singled out like that. We had been forced to like bear crawl. I don't know if you know what that is, but hmm. on, on the gravel roads on the property, kind of wherever they wanted us, duck walk, just a bunch of annoying little like disciplines to, to make you behave. And uh, during those disciplines, we'd be like, you know, we're screwed. We're done. Yeah, I'm not doing it no more. And then they would restrain us. And multiple yeah. times that had happened. Well, 420 was coming around the corner. 420 shows up uh, 2007, April 20, 2007. And, you know, I don't remember exactly what led up to the point of that day. I'm sure we were talking trash or whatever. I mean, that's what we did, me and uh, these two other boys. Well, one of the boys, we're, sit, we're sleeping in, in the new dorm in the front top bunk so, like, the night staff could see us because you know, they just didn't want us talking to each other and whatnot. And he takes a piece of his Bible, I believe, and rolls it up like it's a joint and starts passing it to us. Like, we're just being openly rebellious. Well, a staff member sees him. I think he retrieved it from either me or the other guy. I can't quite remember. Well, he gets hauled out. By this time, it's like 8 o'clock, and uh, they hauled him out. And he was gone so long that we forgot about him. Like, we're just like, it's bedtime. It's like 9 o'clock or something. Right. Well, about 1130, uh, I get, we had captains or eagles or, you know, they were like the most trusted students and a couple right. blue shirts and a single staff came to my bunk and was like, hey, you need to get it up. And I was like, why? What did I do? I'm just sleeping. Like, you need to get up. They need to see you in the hallway. I was like, this is some BS. And so I jump off the bed, probably like super obnoxious, like just launched myself off the bed, being a punk. And as soon as I get to the hallway, well, I re- then I instantly remember like, holy crap, they took this guy out like at like eight o'clock. And I, the first thing I see is he's got a big old black eye, nose is bloody. Mm. Uh, his shirt, he's wearing an orange shirt. It was just shredded, you know, like super stressed out, torn up. Uh and he was kind of whimpering, like crying, like, and he just looked like he just got, just got beat down. And as soon as I get out there, uh, the owner's son asked me, what does are you down mean? And I knew what he was talking about. I just wasn't going to snitch on nobody, you know, cause that was my mindset back then. He goes, you know, what does are you down mean? I said, I don't know what you're talking about. He yells it again in my face and I don't know what you're talking about, man. This is bull crap. And he just decks me right in the face. Uh, not open fisted, not open handed. I mean, a straight punch in the face. Yeah. And I remember thinking like, dang, screw that. And so I, I made an attempt to hit him, like swing on him. I didn't get very far because he hit me like two two other times in the face. And I just remember thinking like, dang, that, that hurt really bad. Like I, there ain't nothing I can do. And yeah. it was in the same spot. So like it wasn't like the pain was being spread out, you know. It was like yeah. the same spot. Well, another staff member, there was four staff members out there. Another one slammed me to the ground and put his knee in the back of my head. I said, go get Jesse. And so they go get Jesse. Before he walks out there, before he can even say a word, he just gets decked right in the eye. And I remember looking at him and like instantly as I just swelled up, uh, same person, the owner's son, he gets tossed to the ground and we're laying there and he's yelling at us, calling us terrorists. The, the uh, same person is going back and forth between all three of us, kicking us in the sides, kicking us in the ribs, kicked me in the arm a few times. And this went on for like five to 10 minutes. It seemed like 10 minutes, probably five. It just seemed like forever. And these staffers, the whole mean, uh, the whole time, 
are behind us just mashing their knees in the back of our neck and you know slam grinding our face on the tile and it wasn't like on a pad it was legit tile you know right outside the old learning center i think it's the new rec room and gym uh and then he he's like you guys are you guys are terrorists man you're gonna the, you know we should take you to court and press charges you know the courts aren't going to take fondly to you guys we're a christian organization you're a bunch of terrorists based on <laughs> just uh, uh, so what does are you down mean let me let me explain that uh a situation had happened where they were making us do these like little bunny foo-foos it was like a jumping squat type thing and we, they made us yell it and we got super defiant well anyways we all three got restrained out there on the on the gravel and uh, usually it was like one staff member with us occasionally two you know show up well this particular time there was two of them uh the owner's son son and son-in-law it gets complicated without saying names uh told us to stop we defied like don we're not going to well we all got restrained that day it was like like a two-hour ordeal on the gravel and cement and so that the the phrase what does are you down mean means all three of us came to a conclusion like the next day or the day after we're well, somebody was going to run away while it was, you know, most of the time it was just one of one staff member on three kids. One was going to run away. And when that staff member chased him, the other two were going to go beat up the staff member and uh, do what we got to do. And then all three of us take off. So initially that's what are you down mean? That's where the word terrorist right. comes in. You guys are terrorists, you know, it's a church. Uh, so anyways, to backtrack to the story, you know, the owner's son decided, you know what, I'm done. I'm done. Get up. Everybody get up. So we stood up, you know, and they said, take off your clothes, strip down to your underwear. And so that's what we did. Took our shirts off, our shorts off. And I was standing in my boxers and he goes, that's what you're going to wear from now on. Uh, we'll get you a bathrobe in the morning. And uh, they had these things called agape airs. would have been like a size 13 tennis shoe mm-hmm. or 14. They'd cut the tongues out, take the laces, and they'd cut like a slit down the toe. That way there was no, nothing to grab your feet. You were just like carrying these like big old shoes. Right. Uh, it was, it was so you don't run. So anyways, you know, he goes, when you get to your, get to the dorm, Take your sheets off, your blankets, your pillow. You can sleep on a mattress, and you're lucky you have that uh, And until I say so. So for like the next three months, that's how we slept. We didn't have uh, any sheets, any pillows, just a mattress on a piece of plywood board, you know, on the bunk bed. And then during the day, we wore bathrobes and no clothes underneath. Hmm. And, uh, so that was kind of like the initial, like, like, you know what? Now I'm done. Like, I'm not, this is crap. And so I just continued doing stuff like that for essentially the entire time I kind of started trying to do better. Like, I don't know if I just got more mature and was like, you know what? I kind of want to have some free freedom and some rank. So when I was about 17, I started, I had this thing called the do right club. So you had to memorize a bunch of verses, same to the staff member, you get level one, level two, level three, you get some privileges like a soda or an extra scoop of food or something like that. And then as you got higher into it, you get to go off campus and like socialize with people so I had started doing that. So that was like the only time I attempted to do good. And we can get back to that story later. Sure. So obviously, you know, you said like just to make things easier, you know, start start adapting, start kind of, you know, I guess falling in line with kind of the, the processes there. Was there any part of you at any point, obviously, again, the methods obviously that they were using weren't right, but was there any part of you that that felt like, I do need some help. I do need, like, I am going kind of in a weird direction and stuff. Like, or was that something where, you know, just at the time it was just like, man, this is messed up. Like, why am I here? Yeah. So that's a good question. So yeah, I I knew I needed help, but uh, I just wasn't in a place to take it. I'd already made a decision. Like 
parents are going to regret this for lying to me. And I didn't really see like past 18. Yeah. And so, you know, I knew I needed help and I didn't want to be a punk my entire life. But during it, it was like, nah, it's worth yeah. it. Was there, um, I, I guess while you were there and, and, and going there, would you say that it was like more, like more harmful to, to you as far as like your, um, you mentioned maturity, but like, as far as like your development, do you feel like it, it had a more negative impact than it did a neutral or positive? Uh, yes, I do. So, you know, while you're there, it made me more violent. Um, I know I sound like I was already violent, but maybe I was, but it, like when I say it made me more violent, it made all of us violent. Cause we had to, you know, defend ourselves. Right. Also it didn't prepare me for life afterwards. Yeah. Um, well, I guess that's kind of what uh, that's kind of what I'm alluding to is I think the fact that you you're being put into a, a pool of people, some of which legitimately have some very crazy backgrounds. I mean, some of the stories, I mean, it's the stuff you see in the promo videos is like, you know, selling drugs and like getting into gang wars and all this kind of stuff. And then, you know, and then you've got people like you who are relatively normal you know like a a pretty normal background response to other traumas and things and then you're getting thrown in you're learning from them and then it's the question i was asking earlier about staff is like if you're feeling like the staff don't have your best interests at all in mind you know you're essentially just creating two rival factions that are kind of living in the same facility that's actually a good point man i'm glad you brought that up so i would say from like pretty much when I got back the second time to about the middle of like, well, maybe the beginning of 2010, it it felt like it was a war zone between students Mm -hmm. versus staff. Uh, You didn't feel any love in the atmosphere, right? There was, there was all hatred on this side and these guys were angry at us on this side. So it was constant just butting heads between the two, you know? Yeah. It's, I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of, I I think about this all the time lately. um, But I mean, there's, when you're split up like that and when you're kind of faction out like that, everything that happens just further confirms what you're thinking. So as a student, every time a staff member crosses a line, even if there's good staff, you know, even if there's ones that are, you know, do have your interests in mind, every time a bad staff member, you know, does a cheap shot on you or, you know, fill in the blank, it confirms that, you know, these guys are out to get me. And then on the flip side, every time that you say, you know, um, you know, like, Hey, let's, we're done with this, or this is crap. Then the staff members are saying, see, you know, these kids are the way that we say that they are. And so both sides are just pushing each other further and further into this kind of, this kind of mess. Um, I, I guess, I guess what I'm curious of, and, and this is something I, I always think about is, you know, it's very clear listening to stories in the trouble teen industry, the, the methods by which they operate is flawed. Yeah. Like, even even psychologists and therapists will say it's flawed. You can you can listen to them all day long. Um, I, I guess where I'm coming from is looking at your situation all the way back to a 12 year old. You know, what did you need? Like what? Like in an ideal world, if agape experience had been what it needed to be, what would it have looked like? Because obviously, it's not what it was. Um, so what right. would that's, it look that's like? That's a great question. Um, I always tell people if you took out some of the abuse we went through. And regardless if they deny it or not, I mean, hundreds of kids say the same thing. Yeah. If you took out the abuse that, that some of us went through, Agape would have been like the PR videos, just like they 
go recruit a, a little bit of a little bit of structure a little bit of a lot of structure you know. actually because i believe right. teenagers need structure right i yeah. mean i needed structure um still do you know and so if you took out all the abuse agape would have been almost perfect you know mm-hmm. they fed you you had a kind of an accelerated education but you got education whether it was good or not uh you know they taught you how to work you know you uh went on work crews i learned a lot in construction building the facilities and all kinds of stuff. So you learn that, you know, they did have some sports like basketball towards the end, they got wrestling and they'd attempt a football camp up in uh, Indiana once in a while. So they, they had some type of athletics. Uh, There was incentive to do good. You know, if you, if you rose rank in the program, you got to leave campus on visits and stuff. So, so there, there was definitely a good aspect of it. Right. I'm not here just to bash them, but I am here to bring light to the abuse that we did go through. Um, So if you took all that out, uh, this conversation would be different, you know, and James yeah. Clyden's ex- experience would be different as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of, that's the thing I just always circle around is because like, obviously uh, Agape is actually the first troubled teen home I was ever aware of. And it was, it, it wasn't until this year doing the show and getting connected with Amanda Householder and others that I found out that there was more than just Agape. Like I thought Agape was its own kind of, isolated yeah. thing and now i'm like I, I remember talking to amanda and be like oh so there's like three or four of these homes and she was like uh just in stockton, <laughs> yeah, yeah right yeah just in stockton and yeah. but the but the thing that i growing up always heard and we actually had a former agape staff member that would that uh, worked at our at our school um but i i remember like just seeing the presentation you know hey we have gang members drug dealers like it's either this you know dying or going to juvie you know all that kind of stuff and you know, in, in my mind as a kid and like, I mean, one, it was like, I'm going to be really good. So I don't ever have to go to somewhere like that. But then it's also, you know, you're sitting there and, and listening going like, well, that's good. Like there needs to be a place that's, you know, that's doing this stuff, that's watching these kids. And then, you know, even, even at the beginning of doing the show, like before really talking with Amanda and like starting to hear this stuff, I'm like, well, I mean, seems like places like this are needed. It seems like you need something for, you know, that's not this or not that. But then diving into it, now I've probably interviewed five people from Agape now, uh, you know, Circle of Hope from, you know, Marvelous Grace Girls Academy, all of these different places. You're just like the, the, the concept and the, the concept, while I think there's probably some good intention from some people involved, the execution has been pretty much, <laughs> pretty much yep. unanimously awful and, yeah, and atrocious, you know. So I'm always curious talking with, with students, like, you know, is it something where you're like, man, that doesn't need to exist at all. Is it something where there's just some kind of, you know, like, can it be restored to something that could be helpful and effective? And, you know, there's obviously a lot of mixed feelings and, and, you know, rightfully so strong emotions around that, you know? Right. Um, So I'm always curious. Uh, That's a good question. So I do personally believe that there is a need for some institutions or some boarding schools uh, to exist. Cause you don't want troubled teens running rampant, getting in trouble. You want to try to to change their ways or get them to show them a different opportunity or a different chance. Uh, But, but with that being said, I don't think every boarding school needs to shut down. Um, Mm -hmm. I have my own opinions about others. Uh, I think all these schools, if you're dealing with just like foster care or juvenile detention centers, if if you have teenagers housing under under your control, and, you know in your area, I think the government needs to be involved some way or another. Um, I think there needs to be licensing required, registered like uh, them being registered with the state. 
Yeah. Uh, also register with child social services, the health department, any one of these entities need to be able to come in and do an inspection. You know, they need to be able to see for themselves. A social right. worker needs to go and walk through the students and see for themselves. Um, regardless if it's religious or not, you know, I'm all for keep separating church and state, but when, when your church is making millions off teenagers back, right. then something needs to be regulated. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've, I've said it before. Like it's just the idea of religious exemptions is fine, but there's no religious exemption for abuse. Like that's, exactly. that's like, to me, it's so clear. Like, it, and I, I remember I, I've mentioned on the show, but it's just, it blew my mind reading through like 1970s news articles with, you know, um, Oh, what's his name? I'm going to forget his name now. Uh, Yeah. Lester Roloff and reading it and him talking about like wanting to run an unlicensed home. And like he, he mentioned specifically like, and it's so weird. This has stuck with me so much, but like just him saying, I'm not able to feed the students the way I want to. And it's like, how much variation in like the type of feeding is there where, you know, where the government would step in and say like, that's wrong, you know? And so like, reading stuff like that i'm just like there's such a weird and again you just have to look at it like these types of positions it's the same with law enforcement why you need so many background checks and like personality tests and all these things i just have to question people who want to put themselves in a position where they're that you know that in control and like laying yeah. down the law that hard i think it's typical narcissism right to be honest so. Right. Yeah, I read I read an article one time that it, and it it kind of fueled some of this this way of thinking. But it was talking about how like many people who fulfill the role of the pastorate, like in their personality type, are narcissists, and yeah. oh, that yeah. it's it's almost a requirement to be willing to stand in front of three hundred fifty people and and speak and to get, feel like you can guide that many people, um, and. And so I just feel that way with Agape. I mean, obviously there's people on the staff who just, it, it seems like the ones who've been there the longest are the people who seem to, like you said, get off on the abuse, oh, yeah. you know? And, you know, in, in that situation, I think you have to have some slight amount of narcissism to be able to lead anybody yeah. because it, it's a right. lot of pressure, right? It's not necessarily a, a bad thing. I mean, exactly. it, it's, it's, it's a fine line between it. confidence and, exactly. you know. Exactly. Right. So, yeah. So, so I guess now, you know, you've got this behind you, you know, you've, it, it obviously lots of, lots of, you know, trauma early, early on, uh, lots of, you know, experiences that were pretty negative. And I think the response to something like that is to either go forward and say, forget about that. Like, I'm never going to think about that or address that again. Or there's the other route. There's the advocacy route. There's going to, you know, like the rally that was just at Agape and you're, you're going and sharing your story and, and, bonding with fellow survivors and things. Um, what is it that motivates you to like keep the conversation going? And, you know, obviously it can't be easy to like relive that chapter of life, but uh, what is it that motivates you to keep that conversation and, and that story going? Uh, I mean, that's a good question as well. So I've done both for many years. I just kind of like, you know, men are taught to man up, quit, right. crying, quit crying, at least in our a little bit older generation, right? right. Quit, quit crying, man up. Get, get to work. And so that's kind of what we did. Most of us, you know, we don't talk about it. And uh, especially, you know, 10, 15 years ago, men weren't really allowed to show, you know, much emotion no. kind of as a social norm. And so I, I, you know, for years, 10 years, I, you know, I just went about my life day by day by day, you know, and I was told that I was, that they were wasting their time giving me a high school diploma. 
because mm-hmm. I'm going to be dead or in prison after three months of leaving Agape. So Agape didn't even have very much hope for me in my future anyways, mm-hmm. you know, but because they told me that, I made sure every day that I'm going to wake up. For one, I'm going to wake up, uh, Lord willing, and two, I'm not going to prison today. And mm-hmm. for, for years, that's how I lived my life. Like, I'm not going to prison today. Oh, tomorrow's a new day. I'm not going to prison tomorrow. And so I didn't have any future goals. Like I didn't look, I never saw myself past 18. I never saw myself turning 21, 25. Never saw myself getting married because my, my goals were so daily. There was no long-term goals. Uh, and so, you know, that was that kind of aspect. And I ended up getting married and uh, a lot of that baggage, a lot of that trauma came out in my marriage, mm-hmm. which I thought for years, you know, God, it didn't affect me. Yeah, I fought the system and I would justify the abuse by, well, I also did do this and okay, I understand why this happened, you know, cause I was fighting them or I did attempt to hit them with a broomstick or I tried to start a riot. So I understand why they put me through a wall here or choked me out here. I would justify it that way, which is totally wrong. Yeah. You know, I was a teenager. These are 29 year old, 35, 45 year old men. They know what abuse is. They know what yeah. they're doing. Like and for so, you to be acting that way was, you know, part of being again, an adolescent teen, like just lashing out but to yep. get the equal match response from a leadership yeah. position or worse um is inexcusable yeah yeah i agree and so and so for years i would tell myself you know i don't have any issues it doesn't bother me in the meantime somebody would walk up behind me touch me and i would just ghost out like my face would ghost my heart would fall and i would go into like fight mode mm. for years and i was like well i don't understand why this happens but i don't know and then, you know, my wife, I would tell my wife and my siblings, like, if, if you fall asleep, you know, in the same room, if I fall asleep in the same room as you, then you're good, you know, you're fine. But if, if I fall asleep in a room where you're not and you walk in, do not touch me. Like, do not touch me. Like, use a broomstick, create distance to try to wait, call my name. And, uh, and I would tell them, they're, they would always, like, joke, like, why? Well, you got to be ridiculous. And I knew that, like, if they touched me, I would just, like, my body would want to go fight mode. It's kind of like shell shock, right? Yeah. Like some of the soldiers have. And so that's what I would do. I would just go into attack mode. And uh, a couple of times I had like actually like jumped out of bed at somebody until I caught myself. And then later on, I was able to realize what was happening immediately. And even though my body wanted to go do these things, I would tense up as hard as I could. Like, and just, I don't, I don't know how to explain it. Tense up and just like make myself not do anything. And in the meantime, like I know what's going on in my mind, but I can't, I can't get my body to register and uh, and then until it would just click and I would just be able to like, okay, it's me. I'm good. And I would tell my wife that she had seen it up hundreds of times and, uh, and she, it took a toll. You know, I had that issue and ended up getting separated. And uh, I said, well, I need to go to counseling or something. I don't like counselors. My opinion of counselors was not very high based off the staff members at Agape. Right. I never had a counselor at Agape, no medical staff, no nothing. We had some dude that was a medical staff, but he just like took, took you to dentist appointments. There was no medical training. And so I didn't have a high like opinion of counselors, therapists, social, like anybody like that. Uh, well, I ended up finding one and that I liked and I was like, well, I'll give it a shot. Like I'm trying to save my marriage the best way I know how, if it's even saved salvageable. And so I started talking to her and she took me back to my childhood and we talked about that. And I said, that doesn't really affect me though. Those aren't my nightmares that I have, you know? And, and we started talking and we started realizing like, well, maybe you do have some PTSD from it. And I don't like that term. I don't like sounding like a victim or anything, you know, but fact of the matter is, you know, maybe you do have some PTSD from these situations because you're waking up in cold sweats and nightmares being drug out of your bunk bed at nighttime, you know, because that happened more than once. 
and and certain other things you know and your hyper awareness is, is another one and uh and uh she's like and i honestly don't know if you've been happy you know for 10 years since you left mm-hmm. like to be honest and i'm like well i don't know what you mean well looking back i think she was right you know men show and depression is not always like suicide and or i'm gonna car myself or i'm gonna drink you know men men show depression a little differently in different stages uh one of the key signs is like you're quick to anger i mean you're you're quick and anything at any given time can just set you off and i had that problem i was just like i get so mad and i'd call my friend like i don't know why i get so mad like well after talking to her all this stuff came out and you know i've been going to her for about a year and a half now and telling her stories i was telling that counselor stories that i had never told anybody like I never talked about this. I maybe briefed it with my wife and I kind of hinted it toward my brothers, but I never went into detail. And I, every time I would talk to her, it just felt like like a weight was lifted off me. Like, holy crap, man, I just feel so much better. It got to the point where I was paying for like two or three hours just to go unload on this lady that was just, her mind was blown. And, uh, you know, and I believe that was the, you know, last October or, September was the day I actually started healing from that trauma. And I don't like the word trauma, but that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's when I started healing and started feeling happy again, you mm-hmm. know? So, yeah. Well, I mean, like you talked about like going every single day saying, I'm not going to prison today. I'm not going to, you know, do this today. Like I'm not going to, I'm not going to fail today. I mean, that's kind of the definition of surviving. Like you're going day to day, trying to just get through the day. And you know, it sounds like, I mean, obviously with the help of like a counselor and like being able to identify that stuff, you were able to move past surviving to like, okay, how do I start kind of thriving? Like, how do I start kind of growing and and stuff like that? And uh, I guess like one thing I want to hit on and like, obviously community is a word that comes up a lot within the troubled teen space. And like, it's a, it's a pretty strong community and pretty tight knit community. Um, yep. How important has the community aspect been in kind of dealing with this and, and kind of moving, moving through this? So it's, it's very important. I think survivors of institutional abuse or pro or just abuse in general, whether it's sexual, physical, just in general yeah. are probably some of the most strongest, most resilient people I've ever met in my life. Cause you, you got taken from this horrible situation. You came out on top. Sure. There's your little rough around the edges, but, but, but you're a mom, you're a dad, you're a coworker. You might be a boss, a brother, and you took your bad and you turned it into something positive. And so I think for one, that's one of the strongest communities out there. Uh, and, and to backtrack, I didn't really have that community because I didn't know much outside of Agape, Circle of Hope, you know, Refuge of Grace, Wings of Faith kind of what was in Stockton, Missouri. And I had been to another one, but they weren't bad. They weren't abusive to me, you know? So it was, there was no, no, no relation to them. And so I, for years, I thought it was just me and my buddy. Like, yeah, I would talk to him and, and uh, I, didn't, I didn't know there was much help, you know? And so really, I kind of got plugged in in March. So, and that was about the time I had started healing, like thinking like, what can I do to like, help some other kid from having to go through what I went through, whether it's Agape boarding school, circle of hope, wings of faith, spring Creek lodge, Provo Canyon. It doesn't matter. I don't care. And uh, I started thinking like, what can I do? What can I physically do right now? And uh, my counselor was like, well, you can start calling state legislators. You can start calling the government. You can start learning the laws. And I was like, that's not a bad idea. 
So I started doing that reach and Missouri was kind of what had happened, you know, that's where I was. So I started looking to Missouri. Well, about the same time, Amanda reached out to me and she was like, can you please speak out about Agape or your experience with my dad? And I was like, Amanda, I can't right now because I'm, I'm kind of playing both sides. I said, but I will speak out against your dad. And I, I said, I will do whatever I have to do to support you, whether it is like sharing a video, some, anything I can do, you know, finding other people, you know, anything. And uh, so that started happening. And at the same time, you know, I'm trying to figure out like how I can send her videos to news outlets. I probably send them to every big, every small, like podcast, anybody I could find that I thought might pick it up on some traction. I started doing that and I probably had hundreds of them. And at the same time, I started looking for lawyers. I knew it was too late from statutes limitations on my end to either pursue right. criminal or civil. And I don't want their money. I have no desire to have a dollar from them. It does me no good. To me, it's blood mm. money. Mm. And so I started, but I was thinking, well, maybe that's not everybody's mindset. So I, I started researching lawyers in different states in Missouri and New Mexico. I mean, all over the country. And, and uh, I finally had found one that was interested where Amanda had found one before me and that same person contacted me back. And so, you know, now I had a lawyer and about that same time, the Kansas city star had reached out to us, mm. you know, and NBC had reached out to me to try to tie, you know, for, to, to confirm some of how Boyd Householder was wow. to us students, you know, and in relation to those girls. And so I had started doing all this stuff and uh, still had never really spoke out publicly. Like, when the Kansas City Star had asked me, and I gave him, I don't know if you've read those articles. I think you have. No. But uh, I had asked them, I was like, can you use my middle name? I don't really know if I'm comfortable yet with my first name and last name being out there. Because you go through the stigma of like, what are people going to think? All mm -hmm. these years, I've got friends that I work with, coworkers, uh, good friends in church and all these places that don't even know a clue of what I've talked to, like been through. And uh you know, you start worrying, like, what are they going to think of me? What, like, are they still going to be my friend or right. are they going to chalk me up as some used trash, you know, throw me to the side. Right. And so, so I struggled with that a lot. And as, as I kept telling the reporter more and more stuff and a couple other new, excuse me, a couple other news outlets had reached out to me. And as I kept going, I started realizing like, holy crap, there's more schools. There's other survivors, if you will, or warriors or however you want to look at them. People right. that's been through the same situation as me, whether it was less or worse, it doesn't matter. Abuse is abuse, regardless mm. of how you look at it, you know, whether it's, yeah, just regardless. And so I started, you know, people were reaching out to me and just talking to me. And then a lot of the Agape former students were reaching out to me and just talking and like, man, I, you know, it's, I read your article. That's amazing. I'm, I'm glad it's you talking, you know, we, what can I do to help? And so I had a lot of former Agape students like, what can we do to help? And I'm like, man, just share it, share as much as you can and contact her, you know, and just started doing that. And then it got to the point where I was like, you know what, Judy, just use my name. Like I was no longer scared of what somebody was going to think about me. If, if, if that changed your opinion about me, then you weren't meant to be in my life anyways. Right. You know, you were fake. And so I kind of, you know, I was just like, I'm all in. And so that's what I started doing. And my name dropped and I, I was on the fence of like, do I go to the rally? Do I not go to the rally? Like I've never been in public. I've never spoke publicly. Like I'm, I'm kind of a, I stay to myself, real private. I go to work, I do my job. You know, I come home, I spend time with my family, you know, all that. So I've never really like been one to do anything in public and on camera. And so as I'm at the rally and I'm listening to some of these people talk and I walked up to Amanda, I was like, Hey, uh, 
do you mind if I just give a little speech or say something? You know, I was kind of feeling them and I just wanted to like, I don't know, have someone they could relate with. And uh, she was like, oh yeah, you're speaking after me in like two minutes. I was like, oh, well, I didn't even have, I was going to plan something. So pretty much it, you know, what you heard is like on the spot ended up being pretty good from what you guys have told me. And so from there, it was just like, it was such amazing support. I just had, I had no choice. I couldn't look back. I was like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to, you know, we're going to write the state legislators. We're going to get them involved. We're going to get them to introduce a bill this month, change the law next month. We're going to start regulating schools in our area and then going somewhere else and then going somewhere else, you know, that way no kid has to go through what I went through. And, and if I can just save one kid from that, I'll live it all over again because that kid's life has changed. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I, 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 I like to ask this question kind of, kind of wrapping up with, you know, obviously you guys are doing incredible work and like the, the survivor community is like taking this head on and, and starting with obviously the schools that they were at for, for people like myself and for others who are listening, who, you know, are, are on the outside looking in, listening to these stories and, and feeling motivated and, and passionate about seeing change happen in this area. What's the best thing that people can do to assist survivors in trying to take on the troubled teen industry? So my opinion, the best thing is one to believe them. That's mm-hmm. ultimately what it comes down to you. Like for years, no one believed us. We would tell people, Oh, you were troubled kids. They ch- troubled mm-hmm. kids aren't bad kids. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? And that's what, that's, that's, that's the mindset of a lot of the world, a lot of this country of, well, you were a troubled kid. You probably deserved it. We're going to tell right. love. So for one, you got to believe them Two, You got to know the laws in your state, you know, and, and, and if there's schools, there's schools in almost every state like this that are unlicensed, unregulated. So you got to find those schools. You need to, to look into them. You know, in my, in our case, Agape, I'm sure you've done your research. You've seen a lot of stuff, a lot of good, a lot of bad, you know, you know, and, and, uh, believe the bad things because every to and, and this is how i believe to every bad thing there's some truth being said hmm. right because people don't just make this stuff up especially over generations right uh They're different classes, and then when you start different age groups like it's exactly, all the same yeah exactly and so you know believe them find out the schools do your research on laws and then you know try to advocate to change the laws that way you don't have the state that is like Missouri when you have 13 schools doing the same kind of abuse throughout all each school, you know, cause it is systematic. It's not just once here, once there, you know, cause then we would be having this conversation. Right. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's really the biggest thing you could do for us and share it no. wherever you hear it. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of progress happening and I know with legislators, like there's politicians looking into it now, there's, you know, there's a lot of, yeah, celebrities are connected to it now. It's, there's a lot of momentum going and I know I'm definitely excited to see where it goes over the next couple months and uh, appreciate people like you speaking out and sharing your story and, and doing podcasts like these. And just, you know, for people like myself, I mean, up till this year, it was, it was, oh, I know of one school that's, you know, probably a good thing and, you know, and didn't know that this whole world existed, but it's a, it's a huge, huge, huge industry with a lot of survivors in its wake. So I appreciate you sharing. I appreciate you having me, Eric. Uh, everything you do from independent fundamental Baptist to this, I listen to all. So appreciate I appreciate that. it. Yep. Yeah. No, thank you so much for, for coming on and uh, for sharing. I also wanted to touch on your question you asked earlier if I had ever did good in the program. Uh, the answer to that is yes. I did 
end up as like a captain or a red shirt, the most trusted student. And then after I finished my paces, I uh, stayed on as a blue shirt or what is known as junior staff until I shipped out to the army. So I did do good. And then for years, I was allowed to come back and visit, uh, walk into the students and talk to them, sit down, eat, eat with them, hang out with them. You know, uh, for a long time, I was considered an agape success story until I started speaking out on the abuse that I went through there. So, Thank you for listening to the Preacher Boys podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, please leave a review on iTunes and don't forget to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at Preacher Boys Doc. Additional information can always be found on PreacherBoysDoc.com. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. Probably the easiest thing I've ever done. The medication comes in the mail and it's very easy to use. I've been able to live my normal lifestyle and I've lost 20 pounds already and I've never felt better. It changed my life. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.